Good evening, this is Peter Hammond in the studio for Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg 104 FM. In the studio with me is Des Palm of Cape Exit, a non-political organization, uh, which is a community focused to mobilize support for Cape independence. And uh, there's, there's been a lot of talk, uh, controversy, arguments, uh, disinformation out there in the media regarding Cape Independence, Cape Exit, and Secession. Um, we've had some people saying it's stupid and unworkable. Uh, what actually is Cape Exit? Dr. Hammond, Cape Exit is a non-political organization. We're a civic organization. We registered in 2018, January 2018, and our aim is the independence of the Western Cape in a non-political manner. A lot of people try to discredit the process. They try to discredit Cape Exit. They keep on referring to Cape Exit as a political organization that has got no hope to succeed. And what they then do is they actually refer to the independence political parties in one party in particular. And they say, but just look at the political party. They get no support during an election. Uh, why must we actually listen to, a, to an institution or organization like Cape Exit. The difference being that the political party works in a political manner. So when you vote for a political party, you cast a political vote, where with independence, you do not cast a political vote. You just simply cast a yes or no vote. So we don't require any voter to forego his political affiliation or his political support. The question is simply, do you support independence of the Western Cape? And that's a yes or no question. And that comes down to a de facto process. In other words, we establish the, the factual side of the support for independence out on the ground. And the detractors are there. And we, we reckon up to the, to the coming elections, there will be more of them. Now, you're referring then to a referendum where it's a yes, no. Do you support um, Cape independence or not? Which in South Sudan was... Um, vote for separation or for unity and so uh, that was the vote in that referendum in 2005 and they voted for independence and uh, 20, uh, 2011 on uh, the 9th of July South Sudan voted independence, the youngest country in the world. So at the moment uh, you campaigning then for a referendum. We are campaigning for support for the referendum. Now, what we've done, you know, internationally, there are a couple of boxes you have to tick in terms of having a common culture, history, territorial um, area, which you, which you can be defined like the Western Cape. And one of the boxes there is the 50% plus one support of the people mm. of the Western Cape. Now, that is gauged from the registered voters, not the total 7 million people, but the 3.4 million registered voters in the Western Cape. So you'd need about 1.6 million. We need about 1.6, correct, yeah. So what we're trying to do is to build that support, that de facto support on the ground. Cape Exit now is just over 840,000 mandates. Mandate. Now, you were 7,000 members back in 2019. Correct. That's a phenomenal growth. 840,000 by now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's people who've signed up. That's people that physically complete fills in the form. That mm. gives his name and address, his mobile number, his email number, and he ticks at the bottom that he will support Cape Independence and he will vote in the referendum. Obviously, vote yes. So, that is our gauge, the 840,000. So, moving to the 1.6 million, you have to build up to the point where you can, one of the international requirements is to actually show that you've got the proven support and ask for a referendum. Now, October last year, we kind of jumped that process a little bit by submitting a memorandum together with the Cape Independence Advocacy Group to Premier Alan Wendy on the 3rd of October. 
And that memorandum was signed by 32,000 people who all supported a call for a referendum. Now, how many people do you need to call for a referendum? Well, ideally, you need to show your 50% plus one, which is your 1.6 million. But what we did that is we can actually say we tested the system or we, we tested Alan Windy for that mm-hmm. matter. Uh, he came back the 10th of October very, with a very definite no for the referendum. So that kind of exhausted that local remedy. So because we know even if we went there with 1.6 million people, the answer would be no. So what we did at that point is we looked at what are the options. Now, there, there are a number of options that comes into play now because we feel we've exhausted the local route in terms of doing all due diligence. So now you have to start looking at internationally. Take your, take your, your case, punt it internationally, and it opens up a number of things. It opens up the possibility of a people's referendum. It's a number of possibilities now that comes into play with that. So it doesn't necessarily have to be through the IEC? No, no. It doesn't have to be. Now, um, I think the next question is, why are some people considering Cape independence? What what are some of the motivating factors? I think the biggest motivating factor is what I always call economic survival. If you look at the state that South Africa is in, you have to ask the question, can South Africa be saved? And I think that is an emphatic no. Uh, I, I do not see South Africa getting out of the problems that it's in at the moment, in definitely in, in even the medium-term future. Well, somebody's having trouble keeping the lights on, we see. Well, that's, that's, that's physically that's just, so, that's keeping the lights on. That's just one example. Yeah. And then there's uh, water mismanagement, which has led to shortages. And when we were having this ridiculous situation, people running around with buckets of water, and um, uh, we were charged an 800% water tariff for a drought that ended years ago, and we're still paying this 800% water tariff. So yeah. there's some mismanagement on many levels. Then I suppose there's crime and violence and murders yeah, and uh, just the safety issues. But one could also go on to people's concern for the education of their children. Yeah, the Bella Bella. Yeah, I mean, that, that looks <coughs> horrific. Yeah. In some cases, it looks like children are being effectively abused and used as mm. social engineering guinea pigs in the schools for some radical agendas which the average parent does not uh, support and which is certainly not good for the children on the ground. Yeah. I think what, what people need to do is they need to take ownership. We, we yeah. back in 2018, Cape Exit, when we formed Cape Exit, we took ownership of the situation. We, we took ownership of the Western Cape. And you have to take ownership and then become accountable. We can't all sit back and not do anything. Uh, that's why we greatly respect the work that you do out in the way of secession and, and the book that you've put together. Um, it's terrific. But now if you look at uh, one simple fact of this whole thing, South Africa sits with a debt in excess of 4 trillion rand. So what did they do with the last budget speech? They said they are going to increase personal tax to service the fiscal debt. Now, where on earth can that be sound economics if you have to raise personal tax? Then they said another thing they'll do is they will now tax companies 15% regardless of where the company keeps its profits which means means abroad, not in South Africa. They'll be taxed 15%. This is a never-ending cycle, and it will only get well, worse. Basically, that's going to chase away investors. It's going to chase Absolutely. away job creators, uh, chase away incentive. It's basically penalizing the productive, and less employers yeah. is going to mean more unemployment. Well, you know that there's only 7 million taxpayers in South Africa, and they are actually 
keeping 28 million people fed via the Sasa grant. I, I did notice that at the recent Sona speech, uh, the president boasted that they have 28 million people receiving regular welfare. That's not something to boast about. That's Absolutely. actually an admission of failure. Absolutely. People would prefer a job to charity and handouts. Yeah. Um, now, of course, uh, Cape Exit has done a lot of research in many different fields as to how to tackle the problems facing us. Uh, what are some of your economic solutions that you might be offering? Because we see the politicians make endless promises, but they don't always, if ever, tell you how they intend to achieve these unrealistic goals. Yeah. I think the, the problem with the politician in, in the situation we're now in, we sit in a one-party state. So in a way, South Africa has got a one-party state and the Western Cape is also, is also a one-party state by way of speed, if you look at it. Uh, in a one-party state, corruption is rife. You're never going to get rid of it. So one of the aspects that we've put on the table that we would like to take forward is the teal system of tax, which is very simply all funds going into a bank account, be it corporate, private, will be have a levy of half a percent. And when the funds leave the bank account, a half a percent levy. So that's one percent on each rand going in and going out of a bank account. And then when you do that, you can do away with corporate tax, personal tax, your value added tax, and a lot of other taxes you can do away with. Not taxes like customs and excise, but there are I think it's probably 60 or 70 different taxes we pay. Now, do the economists that have looked into this see that we one could get rid of the tax on petrol? Because I believe most of what we're paying in, yes. in petrol is now tax. Yeah. Actually, yeah. therefore, uh, the government's getting more out of every petrol purchase than the petrol station and the petrol company and the country that produces and exports oil, mm. which seems ridiculous. So the government could actually cut our petrol taxes in half, less even than half, um, simply by removing those taxes. If they want to. If they wanted to, yeah. of course, which they don't. But but under an independence cape, could we abolish tax on petrol and still get what we need just from this teal, total economic activity level? Yes, absolutely. We've done a, we've done a study on teal for South Africa and the, the resulted return was that your actual, if we call it a tax net, but not tax in the, in the way of getting a normal taxes like now, but the 1% will actually yield 27 times more than what SARS is now trying to collect. Then what we did is we distilled the Western Cape out of the national study, and the Western Cape study shows an increase of 35-fold that your tax collection would be. Now, that alone creates such a lot of positive spin-offs. I mean, in terms of job creation, in terms of there are really uh, corporates waiting for the Western Cape to become independent to start putting money in. They all, they will, they're running away from the South African scene. They would not put one single dollar in South Africa. Well, especially when national governments talk about expropriation without compensation, yes. that doesn't inspire any investor confidence, obviously. Uh, looking at Singapore, Singapore uh, didn't have any natural resources and it's a small area mostly on a marshy type of island but they seceded from Malaysia back in 1965 and Singapore today has a bigger economy than Malaysia mm. and it's an economic powerhouse and they've done it primarily by being a tax haven which has created phenomenal employment do you envisage that the Cape could become a massive tax haven which would attract huge amounts of investment and therefore uh, solve the unemployment problem yes absolutely that that is the aim of the whole teal system you have to create a positive environment for for corporates and for basically any type of investment to come into the so instead of throwing taxes on the corporates try and invite them to come in because 
the solution to unemployment isn't to chase away the investors and no. the corporations, obviously, no. which is what the government's done. If one just thinks of Hong Kong, Hong Kong at one time had a bigger economy than that of Red China. Mm. And the main reason why Red China's economy has grown is because they absorbed Hong Kong. Hong Kong was built on being a tax haven. Um, they have no, like Singapore, Hong Kong has no natural resources, but because they were a tax haven and they encouraged entrepreneurship, businesses just flocked there and Hong Kong became such an economic powerhouse that actually overshadowed Red China. Yeah. And so uh, people should not underestimate the benefit of having a tax haven because I think businesses worldwide are sick and tired of government red tape bureaucracy and stifling regulations. And of course, the more company is taxed, the more the costs transfer to the consumer. Yeah. So it's not that the company takes out their profits and their personal supports and their savings. Uh, they just pass on that tax and burdens onto the consumer. So all you're doing when you get governments taxing companies, they think this is um, a way, a get-rich-quick scheme, but what it's doing is it's impoverishing the whole country, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at, if 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 the, the corporate has to pass on the, the, the increasing cost or tax to the consumer, and now you're looking at what the latest thing in the budget speed was, that that consumer is going to be taxed even more to serve as a fiscal debt, that leaves the man in the street out and dry. He's, he's got no recourse, he's got nowhere to go to, he's got, his salary is is only so big and it gets eaten into. Now, the moment you, inst you install teal post-independence, you create an environment where the corporate, there's no need to pay tax. So what will a typical corporate do? And, and all of us as business people agree with this. The corporate will now take the available funds and actually invest it into social upliftment, into training programs, into, and that all contributes to the positive economy. Uh, yes. But the problem is if you do not have a tax coffer you do not have a place where you can steal from. Yes, no, of course, a lot of this BBBEE and race quotas and so on is just a colossal cover for huge amounts of corruption. Yes. Yeah. And it, it does look like there's been a lot of looting of the till and not even leaving money in the till to pay basic expenses or to leave the lights on for that matter. So one of the problems is our currency has been debased. Um, back in when I was growing up in 1970s, uh, one rand equal two dollars. Took two dollars to buy a rand. In fact, the rand was stronger than the British pound. I remember that. And uh, by the time Mandela became president in 1994, uh, because of sanctions and disinvestments and riots and the war and so on, uh, the rand had descended to just two rand to dollar. But now it's 19 rand to dollar. So our money's been debased terribly. I can just think personally. I bought my first motorbike. 1981, 1,000 rand, I bought an off-road 250cc Honda XL motorbike, rode out the shop window, 1,000 rand, bought a motorbike in 1981. By the year 2000, 1,000 rand could buy me a bicycle. I got a bicycle at uh, year 2000 uh, for 1,000 rand. And now, 1,000 rand can't even buy you a pair of running shoes. It's more like buy a tank of gas. No, uh, that's an interesting point. Uh, my first... Um, vehicle, I remember it took five rand, I could fill a tank with petrol. My first journey from Cape Town to Joburg by motorbike cost me 32 rands fuel, got me from Cape Town to Johannesburg. There was a time that five rand would fill your tank, now a hundred rand won't even get you out of empty. No, no. The needle still be on the E. Yeah. So, yes, now a thousand rand can fill a tank of, of, if you've got a small tank. Well, the, the, the problem is there, there, are, there are certain cash cows. I mean, the whole fuel levy is one. Your, your tax base is another one. Um, and now look at NHI. The NHI becomes a, a, a nice cash cow that can be milked. 
um, it just keeps on going and going. It's like the, like there's no reality around the fact that this has to stop somewhere. Not not because of they can't anymore, but because there will not any won't yeah. be money around anymore to do it. Well, that's what destroyed the Soviet Union. Ultimately, they went bankrupt. Their ruble was worthless, and everything collapsed. And yeah. the Cold War ended when they were economically destroyed. Now, what do your economists recommend to uh, give us honest money and a stable currency? Look, uh, there's got to be a whole revamping of, of, of the economic outlook at the moment and being part of South Africa. Um, the first thing that people always ask us is what currency will we use? Now, we will most likely carry on with the rand, like we've done with Namibia, and they've developed the Namibian dollar parallel to the rand. I believe they're now moving away from the rand totally. But we will start out with a rand currency, and then the economists will decide best advice in terms of what the currency would be, be it the dollar or the euro or the mark or whatever it must be. Uh, but the whole outlook on the, it's, it's a total holistic outlook in terms of economic development. Uh, people all often say that but you will not survive in the Western Cape because you don't have gold and diamonds um, we actually have 124 base minerals things like gypsum and those things in the Western Cape but what you what we want to see develop is a simple thing like medical tourism for instance remember we had the first heart transplant in Cape Town yes. uh, medical tourism is a big money spinner uh, so you develop certain things like that in terms of tourism and and really become a destination country again. Uh, I don't know if you saw the video the other day that the tourists made at the castle where they were attacked and the, the car was damaged um, and showing all these guys living there. And next uh, to them it's a squatter camp. It's a hygiene squatter camp, absolutely. It's and a people, crime zone. People get attacked every day. So I cannot for the life of me, and, and I'm born and bred Cape Townian, and I grew up in Cape Town, uh, I cannot for the life of me see how the city of Cape Town can be proud and say we are the, the fair mother city, come and visit us. If I have to be a tourist and I get off that luxury passenger liner in port and I walk across that bridge where you guys normally have your, your picketing yes. and I walk into a scene like that where I see squatters actually occupying what is a national monument. It is a national monument. I mean, it's 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 disgusting, it's disgraceful. I cannot see how these city fathers can the, even dare to say... The beautiful lawns have now been turned into Absolutely. Uh, just devastation. Absolutely. So, just from, from, from that point of view where uh, I, I, I cannot see how tourists can feel welcome. So, you've got to address that and fix that up. So, do you have a solution recommended to uh, deal with the homeless and the uh, street people and the squatters in city? Again, it's a holistic approach. You you have to for one thing, start bringing back things like training centres. You have to be able to train people. At the moment, that there's, there's no training centres really that people can go to and learn a skill. So they go and live in the street. So you have to, first of all, revamp your laws, your bylaws, your municipal bylaws, and then when you take that person out there, be able to put him in a centre where he can learn a skill. Granted that some of them won't because they prefer to beg and be on the streets, but it, it's got to be a total social upliftment. Um, and you can only do that <coughs> with a very strong economy. Well, yes, I mean, that's the first thing is uh, bring back the investors, the employers, the job creators. But of course, we do have uh, the means to uh, cater for the homeless immediately we've got all these military bases that we use for national service which hasn't been 
used for years and isn't likely to be. We've be, had more than 30 years in no national service, but we've got these bases like at Youngsfield um, military base that they could house. They've got working um, showers. They've got kitchens. Yes. They, you could easily accommodate the homeless in these military bases and have training programs there. And I'm sure there are businesses that would probably be willing to donate food and uh, to uh, revamp the streets and then you could put them in work parties <coughs> to actually clean up uh, a lot of the mess that they've made and to even help with reforestation uh, cultivating uh, the verges and so on that have been destroyed and planting bushes and trees and flowers and plants so there's a lot of things one could do even road repair this if the political will is there there's got to be the political yeah. will but yeah. we've got the facilities yes absolutely if the city yeah. wants to mobilize they could easily do it just by getting <laughs> use of these military bases that are standing effectively vacant yes so yeah. we we have uh, resources and it's a lot better than living in these shacks and tents in the city where there's no hygiene available nearby and of course, that would clean up the streets dramatically. It would provide a work party. There's a lot of solutions right there, but is there the political will? Yeah, and that's right, the question. Right now, there isn't. Yeah. Uh, but on the ground, um, as you've been promoting Cape Exit, what are the kind of responses you're finding from people? The moment you explain what a direct democracy is about, that you, we've got to move away from the one-party state and where you look at the Canton system where the people will become masters of their own future in terms of... Um, it's areas like Mitchell's plan or what they're governing over themselves. The moment that understand that concept, the support for independence is absolutely there. Uh, that, that's the, the model of Switzerland, for example. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's an example of excellence. Um, I love visiting yeah. Switzerland. Absolutely amazing what they can do, and that's as decentralised a country as you can get. And yeah. referendums decide almost everything. Um, amazing country, high standards uh, on so many levels, one of the highest standards of living in the world. Yeah. Um, when people say secession is stupid and unworkable, think, well, what do they think of Switzerland? Yeah. Or the Netherlands, for that matter, which seceded from Spain in... 1600s, or Belgium, which seceded from Netherlands in 1830, or Ireland, who seceded from Great Britain in 1922, uh, or Singapore, that seceded from Malaysia in 1965, or South Sudan, for that matter, from 2011. Um, United States came out of secession. So did Texas. Um, Finland seceded from uh, Russia back in 1918, and uh, Norway seceded from Sweden in 1905. There's so many examples of secessions that have worked. Uh, anyone who wants to say that secession is stupid or unworkable has not studied the subject. 